Welcome to Word Processing, a resource of Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. Listen in as we discuss issues of God, His Word, and His people. Hello everyone, welcome to another edition of Word Processing. My name is Andrew, I'm here with Josiah, we're pastors at Oak Ridge Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario, uh, and we're going to discuss two sermons in one. Josiah, it's a bargain bin deal today on the podcast. Two for one, yeah, 50% off. <laughs> 50% off, we're talking about two Psalms of Ascent, Psalm 133 and 134, which Josiah, you preached on these past two Sundays here at Oak Ridge. Uh, hopefully you remember them, It's been it's been a while since... The first one, at least. I'll recall on the fly. We'll see how it goes. Uh, we want to talk about these two sermons and these two psalms, ultimately. And as per usual on the podcast, when we talk about a sermon, it's helpful if you've listened to the sermon. So we invite you to go to our website, oakridgebiblechapel.org, and listen to the sermon or read through the manuscript, because we want to go just a little bit deeper and, and talk about some of the things that we did discuss and ultimately some of the things we didn't discuss on those Sundays. So I'm wondering, decide just to start us off, can you give us at least a bird's eye view of what these two short psalms are about, uh, what we talked about on those Sundays. You bet that'd probably be helpful. These are, as you mentioned, songs of ascents, and they are a section in the Psalter of 15 psalms that it's believed the people of God would sing as they approached Jerusalem or went up to Jerusalem uh, during feast time. And so from all corners of Israel, the people of God would gather in Jerusalem to celebrate as the Lord had ordained or called them to celebrate. And they would sing these songs. And the two that we looked at, Psalms 133 and 34, 134, are the last two of the 15. And they're mm. very short. Uh, so they're very easy to handle preaching-wise and hopefully listening-wise as well. They're three verses apiece. Uh, the first one dealt with unity in the body of Christ. And it has a very recognizable opening verse. Uh, the psalmist writes, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. Hmm. And then goes on to illustrate that declaration. And so that first sermon, that view from the mountaintop, so to speak, was that of unity. What is it like for the people of God to dwell together? And how is it good and pleasant, as the psalmist says? And then the second one, Psalm 134, which is the final of the 15 songs of ascents, had to do with blessing. And so the psalmist is calling for the priests in the temple to continue to bless the Lord and then also encourages the people of God to await blessing coming from God. So it was this two-directional blessing, blessings going up and blessings coming back down. And that's how the psalmist wraps up these songs of ascents. Hmm. Yeah, as you said, they're, they're very short and I'm always impressed. You say it's easy to preach on them. I'm, I find almost would find the flip side of, wow, we only have three verses to work with here. And I was impressed with how we were able to get so much out of three verses each week. Well, you, hopefully we're not getting more out of them than they, of course, than they offer. Sure. But you're right. I had someone after the first sermon come up and say, wow, when I saw that you were going to be preaching on Psalm 133, I didn't know how you would preach 30 or 40 minutes out of three verses. To which I responded, you obviously don't know me very well yet. I can talk for a long time about <laughs> almost nothing. Um, but hopefully, you're right. We're taking out of the text all that's intended by the original author and the Holy Spirit through that author. And I think and I pray that we did justice to those. But there's a whole lot going on there, especially the two topics in question. You talk about unity in the people of God. Sure. You can talk for seminars and seminars and write books and books. And there have been about unity in the body of Christ or mm -hmm. unity in the people of God. And so that is a huge topic. And then the, the topic of blessing is huge as well. How does God bless us? 
wow, that is a deep ocean. And how are we to bless God? And what does that even mean? Those are big topics. Mm -hmm. And also we're given this little detail of the fact that they are songs that were sang as songs of ascent. And we'll talk maybe a bit more about that uh, later on, but that gives us some details as to the context for sure. And we get to kind of step into the the sandals of the Israelite people back hundreds and hundreds of years ago, uh, thousands even <laughs> at this point. And that gives us a bit of a mindset shift to, to think of what they were going through, why they would be singing these songs and focused on these topics, climbing the, the Jerusalem Temple Mount. Well, so let's let's talk about the first one. Let's talk about unity. Let's talk about Psalm 133. And you really focused, one thing that I really noted and pulled out from that sermon, is you focused on the difference between the reality of unity, which is something that we cannot escape. We cannot, as you showed us, get rid of the fact that we are united in Christ. That is a given. That is a guarantee. We are bought with the blood of Christ, and that unites us so much more than anything ever could. And yet that's contrasted with our experience of the reality of unity, which is how we Maybe you'll explain it better than I. It's not how we feel about the unity, per, perhaps, but it's how we experience the unity played out in the church, how we connect with one another, perhaps. I'm sure I'm butchering this. You'll do a better job. But why should we strive to experience unity? And what do we risk losing, I guess, when we miss the mark? First, I think you explained it fine. Okay. <laughs> You're right. There is a reality that we cannot escape. We are unified in Christ. Yes. and. I think in that sermon I read from Ephesians chapter 4, yes. where Paul is talking to Jew and Gentile together for the first time and saying, you are one, and here are the ways you are one, one Lord, one baptism, one spirit, one hope of our calling, one God and Father. He goes on and on, and those are just realities that all who have trusted in Christ, we have in common no matter what we do, no matter if we know each other or not, right? Those are realities. Now the question becomes, how do we exemplify and enjoy and celebrate and live out that unity that we already share? And that's kind of where we're going. Those are the two directions, right? This idea of, of the unity that we have and then the experience of the unity that we have. Now the question, what's at stake? How do we enjoy it? Well, we oftentimes talk about the purpose of the church today being threefold. Mm -hmm. This is uh, how we talk about our purpose here at Oak Ridge and the purpose of the church um, during this current era in which we're living is to worship God, is to build up the body of Christ, and is to evangelize the lost. Well, I think all three of those are affected by the experience of unity. Hmm. When we worship God, we are worshiping a God who is one, and he has prayed for us in John 17 to be one. And so as we reflect and experience the unity in spite of the diversity we have, as we worship in unity, we are reflecting even better the God who is knitting us together, who brings us together. And so there is an added facet to worship. We are declaring God. Uh, we are, as we'll talk about in the next psalm, we are giving him what he is due as a unified but diverse group. That's very worshipful. That is reflecting back to him who he is. Yeah. And I find that worship together corporately is so unifying. It is that th it really helps to experience unity when we are singing shoulder to shoulder or six feet apart at this time in our life, but singing in a room together with people when we're praying in a room together, when we're taking the Lord's Supper together, it's a lot harder, not impossible perhaps at times, but a lot harder to remember issues we might have with other people when we are singing to the same God together, when we're sitting under the word together, when we're convicted together, when we're sharing in that communion together. It's a lot harder to focus on our differences at those times. For sure. And you go down the track and you come to building up the body of Christ. 
Well, when we are unified, when we're experiencing the unity in Christ, that leaves us open to being sharpened by other believers as well, to being rebuked, corrected by other believers. If there's no experience of unity between you and I, I'm going to be less receptive to your correction, sure. your rebu rebuke, and your encouragement. But if we are experiencing unity in spite of our diversity, I'm more open to being sharpened by you through the word, by the power of the Spirit. So that helps in the growth of the Christian as well. And then evangelization of the lost. In that prayer, as they left the upper room, Jesus explicitly said, you know, that the world may know that you belong to me by how you love one another, by the unity that you share. And so as we demonstrate and experience a, a real unity in the body of Christ, again, in spite of all our differences and diversity, the world, I'm convinced, has no category for that type of grace, that type of tolerance, that type of, and I mean tolerance in the real way. And so that is an evangelistic tool as well, because we believe that people long to be to belong somewhere, sure. to be committed, to be cared for, um, whether they can put their finger on the pulse of exactly what that is or not. They long for that, and the church potentially has it, can experience that. And so I think when we experience unity in the body of Christ, it affects all three callings we have as the people of God. Now, the flip side is that when we don't experience unity, it's not that we're sacrificing the actual unity, but when we sacrifice the experience of the unity— all three of those are hindered. Mm -hmm. you know, we can't worship well. If there's infighting in the church, it's hard to come before a God who is one when we hate our brother and sister. In fact, the New Testament has some pretty strong words for professing believers who hate their brother and sister yeah. in Christ. Uh, how can we build up the body of Christ if I can't be around them, if I can't sure. stand them, if I'm, I'm thinking about ways to tear them down, if I, I don't like them? I'm That hinders that as well. And then how do I evangelize the lost when I don't even like the church and I'm calling them into something I can't really stand or don't feel like I belong to. Again, I think the practical outworkings of the doctrine of unity is are far reaching. Mm -hmm. Even I like what you're you're alluding to there, the idea that being united or experiencing that unity is something strange to those outside the church that is intriguing and something a talking point, if nothing else, yeah. of how can you get, how can you get together with people like that or people you don't necessarily from an outside perspective, anything else in common with. I think some people will push back against that and say, no, I belong to secular clubs that there really is a sense of community. And I would say, sure. Yep. I mean, by God's common grace, there are groups that love one another and, and all that kind of thing. But the ceiling is lower, I would argue. In the church, just like in a marriage, a Christian marriage, the goal is the betterment of the other. And I'm willing to sacrifice everything I am for the lifting up of a brother or sister in Christ or my spouse. That type of sacrifice, self-sacrifice modeled by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is only available in a Christian context. And we would say that the power of the Holy Spirit helps us to do that. And so you remove both the model and the power, and it becomes very hard to lay yourself down for the sake of another without any selfish ulterior motives. And so, again, this community that the body of Christ is, that knit together by the Holy Spirit himself, modeled by the Son, stamp of approval by the Father— I think is only available here and it should be a point of envy or a point of longing for a watching world. Wow. Comparing the church to a marriage. That is such a great, great illustration. Yeah. Wow. Great analogy. It's almost like I came up with that on the spot. Oh no. In Ephesians oh, 5 actually. Paul Ephesians. actually does that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one. It's in there for a reason. It's great. Well, let's continue. Let's move on to Psalm 134 where we talked about blessing, as you said. Uh, I'm going to run back some of the things that you said in that sermon so we can talk about them a bit. But 
you pointed out that we are to bless the God who blesses and to bless him without ceasing, without fanfare, and without reservation. And you explain really clearly in your message as well what it means to bless God. It's to give God what he deserves. It's adoration, awe, worship, reverence, thanksgiving, obedience, allegiance. And so I guess my question for us is very practically, what can we do to make progress or move more in this direction? Like, is it, is it a light switch? We just either do it or we don't. We flip it on and off. Either we bless God in this way or we don't. Or is it something we can do better at? What does it look like to to start moving in the direction of blessing God without ceasing, without fanfare, without reservation? There is certainly a way in which we explicitly bless the Lord, worship him, as we kind of used as a synonymous term sure. on Sunday. When we come together, as you said, in corporate worship, we are gathering for the express purpose of blessing the Lord. I think there are times as a family where we gather to bless the Lord. When we pray before a meal, we are blessing the Lord. Those are explicit. But there are also times, like in Romans chapter 1, where we are to be living sacrifices. Our whole being is to be an hall- a hallelujah to the Lord. That's uh, as one of the um, theologians of yesteryear has said. That, that is to be everything that we are. And that's kind of like, how are we to be conscious of blessing the Lord from uh, the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep? And I think my understanding of that is that we are just walking in conscious awareness of his reality and the Mm. blessings he's poured out upon us. And the more that I can, by the power of the Spirit, be aware of God and put my mind on things above and everything that happens through my day, I see through the lens of God's presence and his grace. I think that is a way I can bless the Lord with every breath I take, with every step in this world, every decision, everything that I do, I can say I'm blessing the Lord because I know he's with me. I know I'm saved. And I just become increasingly aware of that. I think that's a way that we become billboards of worship. We can become walking worship centers, honestly. And, and that can happen from the moment you wake up, you take that first breath, you say, oh, Lord, that is a gift from you. Thank you. Help me today to just walk in a way that honors you. Hmm. Bless the Lord. You know, it's out of the blessings he's given us. Even that breath is a blessing from him. Everything's a gift. And so I think that's the way we move toward that constant worship, that constant state of worship. It's not that we walk around singing hymns all day long and the moment we stop or forget a lyric, then we've ceased worshiping. That was the example I was just going to use, actually. Yeah. (laughs) No, I think we can worship just being. Again, we need to remember we are image bearers of God, that he has put image bearers in this world because he wants his presence to be seen, like little outposts of his glory. He owns everything. We are examples of that we are testimony to his sovereignty his rulership and so even our existence is in a way worshipful but we want to be aware of that as well yeah i think that's so so interesting even thinking about the you know the passages that call us to pray without ceasing too and how it can feel overwhelming at times if we picture that as having to have like a verbal corporate style prayer that's you know shaped or hitting on specific topics or this has to sound eloquent or or whatever that that picture is in our mind as opposed to it being a constant state of thankfulness a constant state of submitting what we have before the lord of recognizing as you say his hand in everything or however you just referred to that the idea of we are living in his reality not the other way around it's reflecting and, and thinking about him bringing him to mind thinking on things above as we walk through the day-to-day and granted, there are some things that help that. If you have people living in your home that are likewise striving to be 
constant worshipers or to bless the Lord constantly, I mean, there becomes a pooling of that worshipful atmosphere, right? Where you work, if there's other Christians there, what you read, what you watch, there are things that can prompt that because we are forgetful people. Sure. I will stray from that path. And so to have things around that remind me. And then I think it's also wise to identify the things that steal that mentality away, that that worship away, that distract me from mm. that. And at least identify those in my life and prayerfully find ways to remedy that. If you're someone who, for example, stresses about money in their life and you know that every time you have to pay bills, you have to look at your online bank account and that causes you distress, what can you possibly do to make sure that that time is worshipful in some way even as you have to face the potentially bleak reality of your online bank statement yeah how can i use that as an opportunity to bless the lord is it me just saying lord i may not have much now but i do in eternity and you own the cattle on a thousand hills like just to turn that around or when you are tired like right now i'm in a stage of life where we're constantly tired and i from what i share with other people that's normal i hope for our stage of life four kids with a fifth on the way and you're tired no we're a little fatigued And so that can become discouraging and that can be an opportunity for us to become frustrated with our lot in life. But when I stop and think, my God never grows weary. Mm -hmm. My God, as tired as I am, my God is infinite. I have limits. He doesn't. And just use that as fodder for worship. We can even take those negative things and turn them around because our God is the opposite of all of those negative things. So again, it's, it's not a magical spell or anything. It's just being mindful, setting our mind on things above, being aware of the blessings he's given us is promised to give us and using that to bless him back, give him what he's due, which is adoration mm. and allegiance and everything else. I love the lyric from that classic hymn, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, mm. really, which encapsulates so much of this. It's yeah. focusing on what God has to offer us now, which is so much more than we can even comprehend that peace that surpasses understanding the, the rest for the weary. And yet also with that eternal mindset in our eyes of what is to come and how things are going to be better uh, when the Lord comes, when we are in his presence, whatever that ends up looking like for us. As we wrap up today, Josiah, um, both of these psalms, as you noted, and as we talked about already, are these songs of ascent sung by the people of God as they ascended up to Jerusalem to celebrate feasts and festivals. How are unity and blessing connected? Or why would these two topics be important for those preparing to worship and celebrate God together corporately? I know we've we've alluded to this a lot. We've hit it on, hit on it, but yeah, I think we need to understand that unity is a blessing from the Lord mm. that we get to join together and worship. The fact that you and I are united, regardless of how much I bother you, you regardless <laughs> of how much I make you angry, we are united. That is a blessing you know, that we are united together in Christ. Blessing that we can come together in a church building like this to sing praises to God that have been written by spirit and dwelt people of the past and present blessing. Those are our blessings. The fact that we can help one another toward Christ likeness in a body of Christ where everyone's operating in the giftedness that the Lord has given them, that is a blessing. Uh, the fact that we can go and share the blessed good news, the gospel of our redemption, that is a blessing. That is a privilege. And so they do work back and forth. If we talk about us blessing the Lord out of the vat of blessing he's bestowed upon us as we continue to discover it all our lives, uh, then certainly unity is part of that. It goes back and forth, right? We experience the un- the blessing of unity. We bless the Lord for that. As we bless the Lord, he unites us further as we explore how we're unified. It goes back and forth. So clearly they're very much connected. I think you could make the argument too that as we experience unity in the way that God has defined it, 
that in itself is an act of worship towards God. We are doing we are doing what he has commanded, what he's offered, what he's demonstrated in his own unitedness within the Trinity. And that is a way that we are reflecting himself back to him as we experience unity and, and worship and bless him together. For sure. What could be more worshipful than striving to model our Lord and Savior in laying our lives down for another for the sake of unity? That is very worshipful. I totally agree with you. The more we become more like Christ and use him as our model and rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to become more like him, definitely that is worshipful. Well, thanks so much for the chat today, Josiah. It's hard to believe we're at the end of the summer, basically, already. I thank you for uh, taking us on this little uh, journey out of coming out of Revelation for the summer and then diving into these two short little psalms has been it's been contrast in a way that's been really uh, encouraging I think and really a nice what a, what a pleasure it is that we have the entire canon of scripture and we can go to different places and, and find these different inspirations and directions as we continue on as a church and I'm excited to get back to Matthew in a couple of weeks it's going to be it's been a, a long time off from that so I'm excited mm-hmm. to get back and discuss more of those incredible chapters soon listener thanks for being with us again as always we hope you are blessed and encouraged Uh, we hope you have a great week thanks for listening to this week's podcast we hope you are encouraged and learned something new visit oakridgebiblechapel.org to listen to sermons and for more information